I want to invite you to turn um, with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing a walk through um, the book of Acts. And tonight we come to chapter 2. We're going to get a portrait of the life of the earliest church community. And before um, we uh, get into that, um, of course, as is our custom, we'll be hearing Holy Scripture read. Um, It is our custom to pair an Old Testament reading um, with our sermon text. So April, as well as Evan, will be leading our reading of Scripture. So I'm going to invite them up um, to, to read. So. This is a reading from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And our sermon text is in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we pray that you would add your blessing to the very reading of your word. God, we pray that your spirit would now shine light on these words in your word. Lord, that your spirit would shine light on dark places in our hearts where light needs to be shown. And would you use these words, the words that I prepared, um, Lord, to shape us evermore into the people you'd have us be. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So as I've gotten um, a little bit older, um, I have decided as a, I don't know, a a move of personal growth and maturity um, to begin to gain an appreciation for things that maybe in another time in my life I didn't always have the greatest appreciation for. And so one of those things in the last, say, 10 years of my life that I've tried to better understand and have appreciation for is art, particularly the visual arts, like paintings. I want to understand more about different painting styles and and different artistic works and what I'm supposed to learn from those and how to enjoy and appreciate them in their beauty and fullness. So to that end, my wife Mandy and I, back in the winter, um, took an evening and went to the Van Gogh exhibit at the BJCC. Just a quick show of hands. Did any of you people go to the Van Gogh exhibit? See, you cultured people, see? Well, to put it mildly, it was amazing. From floor to ceiling of this exhibit hall, you had these beautiful, bright colors that kind of chronicled Van Gogh's life and, um, and his 
art and his development as an artist, and it was just an overwhelming experience in a good way, just taking in the beauty. And I'll be honest with you, walking through that exhibit for a couple of hours, my heart and my soul was stirred in some ways. Now, here's what's interesting. When I took in the fullness of this Van Gogh exhibit, here's what I was not thinking. Here's what I didn't walk away with. I didn't, not even for a second, well, maybe for a second, but not for very long. I I did not walk away thinking to myself, I think I could be the next Vincent Van Gogh. (laughs) I did not walk away thinking, I bet I could paint like that. But instead, I received those portraits and pictures as a gift. And the reason that I tell you that in light of tonight is because in the next few moments, we are going to see a portrait, a painting, if you will, it's actually a paragraph, that shows us a picture of what the earliest church's common life together looked like. But hear me. I think we're tonight supposed to primarily receive it as a gift. I think we're supposed to gaze upon this picture and primarily see it as an invitation to something that the Holy Spirit is doing in this world and among us. I think we're primarily supposed to let our hearts and our souls be stirred. Here's here's something I've been thinking this week in light of this passage. What we're about to see in the book of Acts is not firstly, it's not primarily an ideal that grace fellowship is supposed to achieve. But instead, it's a picture of how the Spirit works in this world as a gift that we can receive. And there's a difference. Now, as we've traveled through the book of Acts, I've I've let you guys know about the Acts question. You're going to hear me say this every week. But the question we're pursuing together as we walk our way through Acts is this. It's, It's this question. How does the Spirit work in this world to the end that the message of Jesus is proclaimed to all the world? How does the Spirit work in such a way that the gospel message goes forth? A couple weeks ago, we see that the Spirit uses the means of preaching about Jesus to the end that the gospel goes forth. And tonight, we're going to see that the Spirit creates this thing called a church community as a means by which the gospel goes forth in this world. The church, any church, our church, other church, is truly a creature of the Spirit's work through the word what a church actually is. So here's the main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else, let's say this is the main thing I want you to hear, okay? It's going to be a little bit of a mouthful, but I'll reduce it, okay? The Holy Spirit traveling alongside the proclamation of Jesus creates a church as a gift to us. So the Holy Spirit traveling alongside the proclamation of Christ creates 
this thing called a church, and that's primarily a gift for you and for me. The Spirit creates a church as a gift for you and for me. So let's take a look at this picture of the early church. There's a few markers we're going to talk about together. Look with me at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These are four patterns of life that became the foundation of the early church. To use the painting metaphor, these are like four primary focal points in the painting. There's four of them, and I want to talk them through with you. First of all, we have this focal point of the apostles' teaching. Verse 42, and they voted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is this apostles' teaching that they devoted themselves to? Well, I think we're supposed to take this in at least two ways. The first way, general. The second way, a little more narrow. So first of all, we're supposed to learn that the early church community was a learning community. They were gathered together to sing and to pray and to eat as we see, but they were trying to learn They were attempting to mature together. Apostle Paul will say, growing up up in Christ, into Christ in every way. They were seeking to understand how this faith of theirs applied to the very real things that happened in their life. It was a discipleship community, a community of learners growing, maturing together. Now, more narrowly, this apostle's teaching in the New Testament becomes shorthand for the message about Jesus. In other words, in these gatherings of theirs, they devoted themselves to the apostle's teaching, to becoming learners, but it was likely focused on this basic gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ having been crucified, resurrected, ascended, and returning. And it's like they got together every week to essentially announce that again, And then the next week, again, and the next week, again, and the next week, again, the same basic gospel message over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul said it like this, I'm determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. It's a way of saying that this apostle's teaching was was rooted in the revelation of God in Jesus Christ and rehearsing that and its implications together week after week after week after week after week after week. You know, I believe with all of my heart, all of my pastoral heart, that it's really not one worship service that is supposed to change your life, however great the singing. It's really not one sermon that's supposed to change your life, however great the preaching, right? That was a joke. (laughs) But instead, it's the singing the same songs, hearing the same announcement of the gospel again and again and again and again that the Spirit uses to form and shape his people. We're not supposed to say a thousand things. We're supposed to say one thing a thousand ways. 
So this first marker devoted to the apostles' teaching. Here's the second marker. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, some of you guys have heard me say this before. In fact, most all of you had have. But when I grew up in church, the word fellowship meant when we ate in the downstairs of the church. Like it would be on a, you know, an announcement, there's going to be fellowship after church, and that meant you were going to eat food downstairs. <laughs> well, the, the word fellowship in the New Testament sense implies something richer and deeper and more full. The word fellowship in the New Testament sense has to do with this bond that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. The New Testament would lead us to believe that something of the bond that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit is not exactly the same because we're creaturely, but something of the bond that exists within God between Father, Son, and Spirit exists between you and me in this room. So much so that your burdens, if I let my mind go there, become my own. And my burdens, if you let your heart and your soul go there, become your own. And the joys that you experience, if I let my heart and my soul go there, become like they're actually my joys. And the joys that I have, if your heart and your soul goes there, are almost like they're your joys. And it's not just here to there, but it's there and there. In a, in a body of believers, when one of them has a difficult day, it's like it causes the other one to also, but in a good way. This is what the Apostle Paul means about bearing one another's burdens, and by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. This word fellowship in the New Testament is one of the most mysterious concepts that exists in the Bible, that this rich bond exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we learn here in this portrait is that the earliest Christians were devoted to cultivating that bond, sacrificing for it in ways that were perhaps inconvenient, countercultural, not making their lives any easier kind of ways. So the marker of the devoted to the apostles' teaching, the marker being devoted to the fellowship, we get a third marker to the breaking of bread they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, again, I think what's implied here is something general, but also something more specific. The first would be general. These early Christians who are, are being described as, as here in Jerusalem, it's like you always found them eating with each other. When you walk down the street in Jerusalem, you see two Christians having a, you know, a meal together laughing together, sharing their life with one another. Because remember, to share a meal with someone in the ancient world was a sacred act. So they were always eating together as a gesture of deep 
welcome and hospitality. See, if you're like me, you can become accustomed, especially at busy seasons of your life, of taking your meals through windows in your car and gobbling them down real quick on your way to somewhere else. So it's the, the sacredness of it's lost on us in some ways. But you always found them eating with one another. But more narrowly, this word being devoted to the breaking of the bread in the New Testament, it becomes shorthand for being devoted to the formal, symbolic, special, sacred breaking of this bread together. In other words, the celebration of the Lord's table. It's like their common life together revolved around coming to this table So we think in kind of the opposite way. We think our life is mostly wrapped up in our work. And then at some point we make our way back here, but their common life was was oriented around here. And then from there, they went out to their work. The way I've tried to think of it this week is it's like this table becomes the center of gravity that everything else in our life kind of begins to spin around. And of course, this table has to do with the broken body of Jesus that has been broken for us, his blood that has been shed for us. And this portrait is trying to tell us that that work of Jesus on the cross, receiving it, eating from it, if you will, drinking it in, became the centerpiece of their life together. Finally, final marker. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So it's very likely that the earliest Christians went to pray at certain fixed hours. That was the Jewish tradition. And at this point in the book of Acts, Christianity is still somewhat of a renewal movement within Judaism. So they use these fixed hours of prayer to pray That's maybe the more specific sense, but in the deeper sense, and you'll see it as we begin to work our way through the book of Acts, the early Christians are always praying together. They're always praying boldly and fervently together. And their prayers, when you begin to read it throughout this narrative, are really short and really bold. I've been thinking some this week about what would it look like for a Christian community, a church like ours, to pray as short and simple of prayers as we can pray, but as bold of prayers as we can pray. I have a, I have a dream that the primary activity of prayer would continue to become the beating heart of Grace Fellowship. That when somebody asks, well, what does Grace Fellowship do together? The first thing you would think of would be to say prayer. They pray. So it would go something like this. What does Grace Fellowship do together? Pray. <laughs> like it's like the quickest thing you can say as soon as you have a breath. So they were devoted to these markers And then next, let's take a look at the results. What was the Spirit doing through these means? Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. Some of your translations will say fear, but it's fear in a good way. 
It's the sense that something wild and exciting and deep and special and sacred was taking place among them. They were devoted to these prayers and and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, so extraordinary signs of God's power were on display through the apostles. It's a good time to tell you that's not ordinarily the way that the Spirit works. But I do believe the Spirit still works that way extraordinarily. And I think we're wise to pray boldly. Miracles and signs are being done by the apostles, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so they held things in common. They shared of their resources. I don't think that this means that Christians are not supposed to own private property. But what I do think it means is when a group of saints are gathered together in a Christian community and the Spirit begins to work, these distinctions between what is yours and what is mine begin to blur in a good way. It's, it's a way of showing us that they live together truly, deeply as family. So, so let me give you an example. If you were to come to my house and you were to say to me, that kitchen table, that dining room table, is that yours or is that Mandy's? Or is that Henry's? Or is that Leland's? Or is that Millie's? Or is that Rosie's? That's our dog. Is that Archer? That's our next door neighbor. Is it his? The answer is yes. <laughs> we share it. In other words, the Spirit does that kind of thing in a church family where we give things away freely because they're not ours anyway. The Spirit births a desire to do that. That's the kind of thing that only the Spirit of God can produce. I had an occasion somewhat recently to be with someone who's, God's given him the ability to make a lot of money in his life. And he was telling me, at my age, most of my friends are trying to find a way to double this. What I'd like to do is find ways to give it all away because it's not mine anyway. That's the kind of spirit that the Holy Spirit kindles and produces in a church. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. In other words, they had this weekly routine, this daily and weekly routine that went back and forth from worship to fast to feasting, worship to feasting, worship to feasting, worship to feasting, and enjoying the good gifts of God in the life of their body. And interestingly, in verse 47, Praising God, having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Somehow, the vibrant life that they lived together became a gift 
to the world. theologian captured it in this phrase that I think is helpful. The worshiping life of God's people is intended to be for the life of the world. There was a link, a causal link between the way they loved one another and the witness that that put on display for the world around them. So they enjoyed having favor with all people. It it does not mean that the world out there was always happy with them, as we will read on. They weren't. But it does seem to imply that they weren't causing unnecessary offenses by foolishness. That's the portrait. So what do we do with it tonight? Well, as I was preparing this, I thought of at least five things we could do with it. First of all, you walked in, you saw a picture of what the early church's life looked like. Nice history lesson, Joel. Look down at my watch. This probably means his sermon is like half over. Great. Here's a second thing we could do with this. And I'll speak to me here. We could begin pouring over it and beginning to strategize in order to make sure our church adopts this model so that we can achieve this ideal, so that we can be a good church. The third thing we could do with it would be heavy-hearted, to be heavy-hearted because perhaps you haven't really been deeply devoted to a body of believers like this. And perhaps you feel a little bit of guilt about that. By the way, I'm, I'm keenly aware that most people walk into a room like this already thinking they're not doing enough good things. Let me just hear, let me just say to you, your failures need not be final. Fourthly, we could be in here because of a heavy heart, because rather than experiencing vibrant life in a church, you've been wounded by a church. In other words, it Didn't look like that for me. And to that, I'll just say to you, I'm sorry. There's a fifth option. What would it look like to see this portrait, have our hearts and souls stirred, to see it as an invitation to receive it as a gift. Always remember that Jesus Christ is a gift before he's anything else. Always. Always. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, this is Jesus we're talking about, that he went to the cross in order to purchase 
a people with his own blood. When you go to purchase something, you purchase it in order to give it away as a gift to someone. So let me conclude our time tonight by just trying to help you see how these markers are actual gifts, how they were gifts back then in the first century Roman world, which you're going to see as I explain it is not very different than how it's a gift today in 2022. I'm going to do kind of a then and a now thing. So let's talk quickly about these markers They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. See, the world of the first century, the Greek and Roman world, which is also the same as our world, people were being blown and tossed about by every wind of doctrine, constantly feeling blown and tossed by the wind, by the waves, not knowing what to believe and what to think and what was offered was teaching truth that you could build your life on. Guidance. What about this idea of being devoted to the fellowship? The ancient Greco-Roman world, which is the same as 2022 world, was a brutal and cruel time to be alive. You know this phrase, a dog-eat-dog world? That's a phrase that was invented by a Roman historian at this time. See, the Greek and Roman world, which is the same as our world, was in every person for themselves, getting what's mine, climbing the ladder of what's mine. And the gift here was to belong to something deeper and richer and better, where you could actually know the joy of self-forgetfulness. They could enjoy love, being known and loved by someone. What about this, this marker of they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread in the sense of this Lord Supper table fellowship? See, the Greek and the Roman gods, same as the gods of 2022, are, were always interested in accumulating more power in order to lord their power over poor people like you and me. But see, these early Christians got to worship, and you and I get to worship a God who went to the cross in the highest height, the greatest moment of his glory and power. He goes to the cross to give himself away for you and me. The pagan gods, this marker of being devoted to the prayers, the pagan gods pagan gods did not care about people. But see, this Lord wanted to hear his people's prayers. In other words, this is an invitation to a new way of being human, a new way of being alive as a person in this world, a community where you're allowed by the power of God's spirit. He forges a place where you can be, live in the joy of forgiveness and mercy and grace, where you can feel a deep sense of belonging in a world that's so lonely, that you could have a deep rest, a deep rest in knowing that there is a God who's given himself for you. You could know what it means to be known and loved. It's an invitation to a different way of being alive. And the promise tonight is that as God's 
word is proclaimed, the spirit goes to work to make this kind of community. And let me tell you, if you're wondering if it will always feel so rich and beautiful, it won't. If you're wondering if you'll never be disappointed by it, you will. If you're wondering if we'll always be led with the best wisdom, I can't. But what it does mean, as we fix our eyes on Jesus together, that there is more going on among us than we can even see. And not one second, not one second of being devoted to what God's Spirit is doing among us will ever be wasted. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that when you redeemed us and called us, that you did not redeem and call us alone, but instead you've joined us to a family. And Lord, we acknowledge, because we all come from families, that that is not easy. Lord, but we pray by the power of your spirit that you would build among us Lord, a church that could fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus, that could enjoy the gifts of the Spirit, or that would give us deep gladness and joy, and that others would see it and be blessed by it. For this obviously would have to be a work of your Spirit. So we ask that you would do this, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.